for some, uh, some doctrinal review for others, uh, some very practical things I hope to, to leave you with at the end of this. Uh, but uh, the Lord kind of, and I, I, I wish I could tell you why. Um, I don't know that may, maybe we'll figure it out by the end of the study, but the Lord just really impressed upon my heart. Uh, and it's true, I've never taught on this before, and I've never really taught on the book of Revelation specifically in this church uh, in any kind of verse-by-verse fashion. And so uh, maybe that's part of it, but I, I, don't, I can't stand here tonight and tell you I know exactly why God wants us to go through this series. My prayer is as we go through it, you go, okay, I know why I'm going through it. Uh, so look at Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, and uh, we're going to talk about the seven churches that are written to in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. Seven letters to seven churches, Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of John, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ that he gives to John, all right? Keep that in mind, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which much, uh, must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. You know another way to say that? I am that I am. Uh, matter of fact, you know the story there in John chapter 18 where they're coming to arrest Jesus Christ and, the, and uh, he asks them, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he says, behold, I am he. And they fall down backwards. I am that I am. Uh, look at verse number five. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests. You may not feel like it right now. As Miss Andrea testified, some days you don't even want to come to church. Uh, you may look at yourself in the mirror and go, I know who I am. I know the, the, the filth I've been involved in. I know the, the junk I've been involved in. I know the sin in my past and all that. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not true, but I'm going to say this. That does not define who you are in Jesus Christ. The Bible says he hath made us to be kings and priests. All right, look if you would at verse number uh, six, uh, verse number six, yeah. He had made a king and priest and a God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. We're going to draw a line of delineation between the rapture and the second coming. Not going to go to it too dip, deeply, but just so you know the difference. Uh, and what John is talking about here is not the rapture. Uh, he's talking about uh, the Lord coming back in his glorified fashion. Uh, and the way that you, the reason you know that is the way he describes Jesus Christ in this passage. When you get down to it in verse 14 or so, it'll make more sense. Look, if you would, at verse 7. Uh, they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. I am, there's the I am, Jehovah God, Jesus Christ. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you're not familiar with this, uh, this is the last book that was written. It was written around 90 AD when John was serving a sentence, if you will, uh, in isolation on a salt mine of an island called Patmos. 
And as he's working there, kind of in a, uh, you can call it kind of a, uh, a work camp, if you ask what the Romans did with some of their prisoners. Uh, when John is there, he receives a vision. Look at verse number 10. And he is caught up. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Let me just say this. If you're going to get caught up in something, get caught up in the Lord. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great trumpet as a, a great voice, excuse me, as of a trumpet. And this voice said this in verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the what? which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia. That's not a city in, in Pennsylvania, by the way, at that time anyways. And unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks in the midst of the same seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the pass with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like wool, Revelation chapter 19, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like in a fine brass, as if they burn in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, that's no doubt Jesus Christ, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Look down, if you would, at verse number 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand. And the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, if you're kind of going, I have no idea what's going on, stick around. We're going to try to make sense of it all and help you out a little bit, because what we're going to do before we get into church number one, which would be Ephesus, tonight's just laying a groundwork. I, I want you to get a, a real feel for what we're about to step into. When we talk about Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and all the rest of them, I, I want to lay the foundation the right way. Uh, these guys, uh, Brother Tony and, and Brother Daniel, when they paint, you know what takes them longer than anything else? It's not the painting. It's the prep work. Yeah. It's putting all that, that tape out. I can't stand doing that stuff. I'm thankful you guys do it professionally, man. It just take, it's just, I put that tape in, you know, I never do it exactly right, and I end up messing it up anyways. But it's the prep work that takes time. And so before we can enjoy the, the actual meal, we're going to do some prep work tonight and jump into it and ask for God's help. So let's do just that and ask the Holy Spirit of God to lead and guide us into all truth. Uh, Brother Eric, if you'd ask the Lord's blessing on the Word tonight. Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Now, let me just uh, jump in and, and throw something up here that uh, maybe you haven't heard. And let me just say this. If you're not uh, a student of theology, and I'm just putting air quotes there, because I think every born-again child of God should learn their Bible. That's right. uh, it's not just for preachers. God gave you 66 books, and he didn't say this is for preachers. He said this is for my children. And if you're a child of God, you should desire to know what God says. All right. Uh, God does not waste one word in this book. All right. So if God doesn't waste words. I mean, we do all the time. We say, um, we say, yo, 
We say just all kinds of dumb things, right? The, the Lord does not waste one letter, let alone one word, all right? So, so every word in there is, is in there for a reason. The Bible says every word of God is pure and it's perfect, all right? So I want to make uh, some sense of this, and I want you to understand. There are those, when they read the book of Revelation, that take what is called... Now, if you don't know what this means, don't worry about it. You don't, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. That's what we're going to break it down and make it, make it all make sense. When they read Revelation, they take a preterist view. You say, what does that mean? What it means is this. All the stuff you're going to read about in Revelation has already taken place. That's garbage. Yeah. And the reason that's... I'm not going to go into a whole doctrinal explanation and break down every single point. I'm just going to say this. The Lord says over there in, I think it's chapter 1, maybe verse number uh, 4, or maybe it's no, verse 7 or 8, somewhere in there. He says this, Behold, I come quickly. Question, has He come yet? All right, then, then you know this. This is future. All right, so the stuff that you're going to read about has an application of future events that have not yet taken place. So right away, let's just knock out this piece of garbage right off the bat. All right, because the Lord, would not, the Lord would not put a book in there for you to read about, about future events that have already taken place. It makes no sense at all. All right, so we're going to take the Bible. Here's the best way to take the Bible, literally. When I tell my kids, clean your room, they don't sit there and go, what does it really mean? And if they did, you know, like, all right, it, it means what it says. And so the Lord is giving us some things to look into because what happens is this. Uh, John, at the end of his life, he's the beloved disciple. God gives him this vision, and it's a supernatural thing. It gets caught up in the Lord's day. We're going to talk about what that means in, in the day of the Lord, and he sees some things that are future that have not yet taken place. Now, the reason I've got a couple different things uh, listed out here, historical, practical, and doctrinal, is because when you approach the Bible, anytime you approach any passage of scriptures, there's three ways to apply it, all right? Historically, who's talking, who are they talking to, what are they talking about? So historically, I would say that what you, what you learn is this. There were seven literal churches that existed in Asia Minor. You say, what is Asia Minor in modern-day language? Uh, basically, what we would call the nation of Turkey today, that would have been Asia Minor, that part of the world. Uh, there were seven churches that God says, I want you to send the information that I'm giving you, John. I want you to send letters to these seven churches. That's historical. Practically, you say, what, is, what are we learning about when we learn about these seven churches? Practically, what you're learning about is seven periods of church history, all right? And the one that you probably heard about the most is the last one. You say, what's the last one? Well, that one is Laodicea, all right? You say, what does it mean? Uh, Laos, Latin. You say, what does it mean? People, decia, derechos, en español. What does it mean? The rights of the people. All right, that's the last church that's listed, and we know a lot about that because we talk about the modern-day church being a Laodicean church. So what you find is, as you go through this, historically there were seven little churches that existed that God wanted to get information to. They also are a picture of seven periods of time in church history, the last one being Laodicea, and it ends up on the wrong note. All right, they end up in what the Bible calls apostasy. Now, let me give you the last application, and it's, it's doctrinal. You say, what does doctrinal mean? It means this. It means that there's an application that still has not yet been applied. And it's going to be seven churches that are going to be uh, uh, getting letters at some point or opening the Bible at some point during what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. All right? Now, people argue, is it three and a half years? Is it seven? What I can tell you is Daniel's uh, 70th week is seven years long, no doubt. 
The question is whether or not three and a half years has already been taking place uh, at, during the ministry of Jesus Christ. One thing I can also say is this. Every single time that the Bible talks about the great tribulation, and by the way, you will not be here for that. Amen. All right? You say, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. Amen. I don't care what YouTube fad is out there. You know, I love it when some, some jack wagon gets on there and goes, we're going to be those guys that tell you that we're going to be taken out of here before. Then. Don't believe that. You're going to have to resist the mark of the beast. Dude, you can't resist a donut let alone the mark of the beast. What are you talking about, you know? Uh, so, so look, the Bible says the Lord has not appointed us to wrath. It's very clear in 1 Thessalonians 5 that the Lord is not going to have us here during the time of his wrath that he pours out on this world, all right? So I had one time one guy said, well, that, that teaching of the rapture, uh, the church being taken out before the tribulation, that's a new thing. No, there was a church father in the second century that taught that, all right? So, so that's not, and, and oh, by the way, the Bible says so. So let's just go back to that. All right, so we're going we're gonna to get into this in a moment, but understand what you have is you've got three different applications to these churches. And we're going to make sure that as we go through every single church, we look at what was being said to them, we look at how it applies practically in a period of church history, and how we can apply it practically to ourselves, and we also understand there's a future application. The reason I say that is there are things that are said to these churches that do not jive with the things that Paul says to the churches that he writes, all right? And, and the Bible says, as you go through, the mysteries that were given to the church were given through the Apostle Paul. All of our doctrine about salvation, look, guys, all the shun words, all right? You see what he mean by that? All right, salvation, justification, sanctification, redemption. You say, what is that? All that stuff that you know doctrinally about New Testament salvation that you're born, you're born again by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know who gave that to you? Paul. Amen. All right? So, so when it comes to doctrine for the church, then we listen to Paul. But John is writing about some things that can be applied practically, practically to the church today, but doctrinally to people in the tribulation. And you've got to get a hold of that. If you don't get a hold of that, you'll come out like a soup sandwich, all kinds of confused, because you'll go, okay, I thought I was saved by grace through faith, and I can't lose my salvation. But then I read stuff in Revelation and in James and in Hebrews that makes me feel like I could lose my salvation. And the reason why is because those books are written to people that will be going through the great tribulation. I am not going to be there. Amen. If you want to be there, knock yourself out. I'm not. not, not look, the reason I say that, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want to make this clear because John talks about being in the Spirit. And by the way, if you're going to get anything from the Lord, you need to be walking in the Spirit. You're not going to get what you should get out of a church service, out of your Bible reading. out of. And by the way, I just, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just bragging on the Lord. I'm thankful for the gift of sight. I just read through my Bible again for I don't know what time it is. But I got to the end, and I love it because at the end of my Bible, Revelation chapter 22, you know what it says at the end of that last page? It says the end. And I got a little arrow, and I wrote down at the bottom, but really the beginning. <laughs> all right? You know, because that's when eternity starts, amen? So all that said, uh, you know, it, it is, uh, as, you, as we go through this, I want you to understand that there is a distinction between the, the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. You might say it this way. There's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the reason I, I want you to get this is because right away, right off the bat, Revelation chapter 1 starts off over here on the second coming. It does not start with the rapture. You know how I know that? We just read it in Revelation chapter 1. It says, every eye shall see him. 
That is not what happens in the rapture. All right, you say, what is the rapture? For those that might be newer, the rapture is simply this. Uh, there's coming a day, according to the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's a mystery, and we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, that sleep is talking about the sleep of death, all right? There'll be those that have died as Christians, and their bodies would have gone to the ground, and there'll be those who are alive at the time that Jesus Christ calls his church out of here, all right? And when that happens, let me say this, if you're saved, you're going up whether you got the right doctrine or not. All right, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, take notes. We're going to go through a lot of stuff real, uh, tonight very quickly. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also would sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him that sleep that he's talking about. If you want a reference, it, you can read about it in John chapter 11 and Matthew 27, verse 52. That's the sleep of the body. The Bible says in Matthew 27, the bodies of the saints which slept arose. Your soul does not go to sleep. Your soul is, when you die, your soul is instantly in the presence of God or instantly in the presence of hell. And uh, the difference is whether or not you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, Let let me say this. I heard a a, a guy that that does street ministry, not from our stripe or anything like that. And someone asked him about, you know, could you be saved and do X, Y, Z? And the way he answered it was cute, but it wasn't biblical. It was like, well, if you really are my friend, would you do X, Y, and Z? Well, I guess not. Well, if you're a friend of Jesus, then you won't do it. Okay, that's not Bible, though. The reality is this, and I'm not giving you a license to sin, but the truth is this, your flesh isn't saved. And your flesh is what wants to sin. And your flesh gets saved at the rapture, amen? All right, the Bible says we are going to be changed and changed into what? Into the image of his dear son. All right, look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, not, not man's opinion, by the word of the Lord, all right, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not pre-event, prevent them which are asleep. In other words, those that, are, uh, that died in Jesus are going to come up first. How much of a head start they get, I have no idea. I've got, I've got uh, guesses and things like that, but I don't know. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. We're going to come back to that thought in a moment. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the what? To meet the Lord where? Listen, listen. In the second advent, he comes all the way down, and the book of Zechariah talks about it. Chapter, I think it's 12 or 14. He comes all the way down, and his foot touches the Mount of Olives over there on the east side of Jerusalem. You know what happens? That mountain splits in two. And then he comes in and rides in through that eastern gate and uh, blows out the, battle, the, uh, the armies of the Antichrist and establishes a kingdom for a thousand years. All right, That's the second coming. That's what you're reading about in Revelation chapter 1. What you just read is not so much about the Lord coming all the way down, but rather us meeting him up there. <laughs> All right, so those are two separate events. You've got to get a hold of that. If you blur them together, now you say, why is this so important? Uh, look at verse 18. This is how you comfort one another. When someone loses a child and you don't know what to say, you know what you say? I can't wait for a reunion day. Amen. You don't got anything. Uh, don't say, well, I know, you know, uh, God's going to get you through this and, and you just got to have faith. Sometimes all you got to say is, I can't wait for a reunion day. Because that's a, safe, that's a safe thing to say. You know why? Because up there, that's, gonna be, that's when we get to see everything that we're missing down here. All right? Uh, and, and so, look, he says, comfort one another with these words. And then look at chapter 5. What's the first word in chapter 5? You know, you know what that tells you? We're moving from comfort to something else. And look what he talks about. Look at verse number uh, 2. The day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. 
Uh, look at verse 3. When they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon who? Not the church, them. All right, look if you would, at ver- and if you're taking notes, that woman with child is Israel, Revelation chapter 12. Uh, look if you would at verse number 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of what? And children of the day. Didn't Jesus Christ say, work uh, for the night comes when no man can work anymore? Work while it is still day? He says that in John chapter 9. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is still day. The night cometh when no man can work. All right? And so the idea is this. When's nighttime? Right here. Right here. Uh, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, John chapter 1. Well, guess what? You are the light of the world as well. His light is reflected through you. All right, so nighttime's coming. You say, what is night? That's nighttime. You're not nighttime. You're day. Amen. All right? Uh, look, look at uh, verse number, uh, let's see here, verse number 9. We'll just skip through some things. Look at verse number 9. For God hath not appointed us to what? Do you know what this is right here? Wrath, tribulation, it's wrath. It's God's wrath being poured out on this world. If you're not saved, you better get saved right now. Amen. It's the greatest decision in your life. Not only will God put your life together like it should be, but you'll avoid hell and you'll avoid the great tribulation. <laughs> Basically, this is hell on earth. And I'm not saying that it'd be uh, uh, offensive or colorful with my language. Literally, the earth opens up and smoke and goblins come out. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the book, all right? Amen. It's in there. Hollywood has nothing on the Bible. Brother, if you want to produce them, there's an idea for you right there. All right? So, uh, but but my, my, my point is this, guys. As it relates to what God is showing us, we get taken out of here before then. And then when he comes back is what the Bible refers to as the day of the Lord. Uh, look at Joel chapter number two. Joel chapter two. Joel chapter, just trying to lay a foundation here so you understand that while we can practically apply some lessons to us today, doctrinally, there are some things that are said in Revelation that apply specifically to people going through the Great Tribulation. I'm not going to be there. So I must be careful how I apply that scripture to me. The easiest way to remember this is this. All the Bible is written for you, but not all the Bible is written to you. All right? Or does I get that backwards? Did I get that backwards to you? For, no, I, got, I think I got it right. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, those prepositions throw me off sometimes. All right? So all the Bible is written for, for your, your good. All right, but all the Bible is written to you. There are certain things in there. Uh, listen, I've got mixed fabrics on right now. That's against the Old Testament law. All right. Uh, if you worked on the Sabbath day, if you worked on Saturday, all right, you know what that would mean in the Old Testament? You get stoned. I don't mean like drug stoned. I mean like stoned. <laughs> I can tell somebody like, really? That sounds, no, 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 no. Not that kind of, the, the kind where you die at the end, all right? All right, so, so we are no longer under the law, and just like we can look back and recognize that there's a difference from there, understand there are things that are said here that do not jive at all. And here's what most uh, good meaning, I'm not, I'm not attacking people, I'm just saying uh, good meaning, well-meaning brethren, Baptists and otherwise, they'll say things like this. Well, what the passage really means is this. I like to just leave it how it is. And trust that God put it there exactly how it needed to be. And it's our job to do what he told us to do and rightly divide the scriptures. Yeah. All right. So that said, understand that when we're talking in Revelation chapter 1, uh, we're, we're looking at the day of the Lord. We're not talking about the rapture, which is also in the Bible called the day of Christ. Look at Joel chapter number 2. Joel chapter number 2. And you're going to see some things here in Joel that, that uh, remind us of this idea that the day of the Lord is uh, something that 
uh, is, is referred to oftentimes in the Old Testament prophets. And what it's referring to is a couple of different events. And, and I want to make note of this. Notice this, that over, uh, you may not remember it, but we just read it. In chapter 1 of verse 9, all right, verse 9 in chapter 1, when John talks about the, being a companion with him, he talks about being a companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. You know what that covers? That covers the Lord coming back at the end of the tribulation and the kingdom that follows. You say, why is that important? That's what the day of the Lord is referring to. So when he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, that doesn't mean Sunday. <laughs> and it doesn't mean the day of Christ, the rapture of the church and the judgment seat. He's referring to when the Lord comes back at the end of the tribulation. So what John is looking at is beyond where we're at right now. I want you to get that. Amen. All right. It's a, it's a future vision that he sees. Joel chapter 2, look at how the Bible uses this term. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. I'm not talking about the place in Utah either, right? That's over in Jerusalem. <laughs> Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh. For it is nigh at hand a day of darkness and of gloom. That is not the rapture. <laughs> The rapture is our blessed hope, man. It's when the skies open up and our Savior comes back and we meet Him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is not comfort. A day of clouds and of thick darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the light. Neither shall be any more after even of the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them and behind them a flame burn. You say, what is that? Revelation chapter 19, the armies that follow the Lord from heaven. Say, who is that? The church. Now, you know what's crazy? This is crazy. You got a choice, Christian. You can tell your neighbors and you can tell your family about Jesus Christ and his love and his grace to them right now. And they can get saved and they can avoid all this. Amen. Or you could gamble that you live in the generation where the Lord is going to come back, take us home, and you're going to come back you know what you're going to do? You're going to wipe out, according to the Bible, wipe out people that rejected Jesus Christ. I didn't write the book. Now, you know what some of you think? Well, I can't imagine that. That's, that's too harsh. You need to stop, stop for a moment. Stop. Do you realize there's children being abused right now and God's silent? There's, there's, there's a young girl being sold into sex slavery and God's silent. It's happening right now. Idiots that think slavery ended after the Civil War. You know what you are? You're ignorant. Amen. Slavery is still going on right now. Amen. It's just underground. All right? You know, you preacher, you shouldn't be so harsh. I just get tired of Americans not knowing anything about history. It frustrates me. Like, you know nothing about what's going on in the world around you because all you do is listen to what CNN and Fox News and Instagram and TikTok, whatever else tells you, to programs you to think. Start reading the book right now. That'll help you out, number one. And then after you read that book, start reading other books may help open your mind a little bit. But, but here's what I want you to understand. God's silent when, when someone, an innocent life is taken. Someone's getting murdered right now and God's not doing anything. You know what the atheist says? If God's a good God, he'd stop it. You know what my response to that is? Then your free will is gone. You know what he says? Whosoever will, let him come. So you know what God says? I'm quiet right now, but buddy, I'm not going to be quiet forever. And when the Lord comes back, you come back with him to bring in a kingdom where there is none of that stuff going on. 
Can you imagine an earth without, without murder and an earth with, and God keeping everything in perfect order? I cannot imagine that. We've got politicians that say one thing, do another. And, and it's not going to be that way. Jesus Christ, by the way, he's not going to come back and go, here's my campaign, you know, Jesus for 2028 or 2033 <laughs> or whatever else. You know, he's going to say, I'm here. And if you don't want to worship me, that's your business. But if you don't want to worship me, off you go. <laughs> that's what the kingdom's all about. Now, if you haven't read your Bible right now, you're thinking this is insane stuff. This is wild, crazy. This guy's insane. I will never come back to that. I've heard people say, I just can't believe. You know what the problem is? You haven't read the book. I'm not saying anything that's bombastic if you've read your Bible. As a matter of fact, I would dare say I am PGing this very nicely. Because when you go through and read it for yourself, it's like, oh, man. But you have to understand, instead of looking at God as some angry guy, understand this. He's been gracious for thousands of years. You guys can't be gracious for 30 minutes in traffic. Don't tell me. Don't look at me like that. I can't believe God would. You, you guys are giving the bird and yelling stuff out the window and, and all kinds of thinking, where's my gun? Where's stupid stuff like that. Because you're in traffic and people are making you mad. And God for 6,000 years has watched all kinds of wickedness. And he says, I'm going to give him more time to repent. More time to repent. You know what the time to release one of Jesus Christ is right now. You say, why? Because, man, when this thing blows and, and, and we get taken out of here, it is literally, I'm not being exaggerated, hell on earth. And then he comes back to establish a perfect, a perfect and righteous kingdom. Go back, if you would, to, uh, first, uh, to Revelation chapter number 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1. And I just want to point out a few things. Revelation chapter 1. Uh, we talked about the fact that the Lord says, I must come shortly. <laughs> These are things that must shortly come to pass. And he says, behold, I come quickly. It's been 2,000 years, Lord. And he's like, yeah, but it's basically just been about two days. You know, I'll be, I'll, I'll, you know, you know how we are, Lord. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And Lord's like, I got a timetable. I'm good. Don't rush it. You know how many times I say, Lord, why don't you come back? This brother's suffering from cancer. And this, this sister just lost her husband. And this thing's going, Lord, why don't you come back? And then someone else gets saved. And then Javen gets saved, right? <laughs> Do you even gift, bro? You know? <laughs> and then Hector gets saved. And, and all down the list, and I go, okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. You know what he's doing right now? This is the space to repent. He's giving people time. But eventually that clock runs out, and we get taken out of here, and the great tribulation takes place on this earth, and then the Lord comes back. And when the Lord does that, you have to understand, the day of the Lord, uh, look, there's a, I'm not going to have you go there. Uh, but the day of the Lord is an interesting term, and here's why. Because, uh, again, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. All right? So, again, practical lesson, you're not going to get anything if you're not in the Spirit. Yep. I know this. Some of you guys come to church in the flesh. I'm glad you're here. I'm not saying you should leave. I'm just saying, you come and you're, you know, traffic was bad, and the boss was bad, and husband stinks, and kids are... <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, isn't the love of Jesus something? Well, I don't know if it is, you know. <laughs> you know and, and eventually what happens, if you sit there long enough, the Lord starts working on your heart and you get in the Spirit, amen? amen? But you get in the Spirit and you get some things from the Lord. Now, uh, he says I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. You say, what is that? It's the equivalent of the day of the Lord. And we're going to talk about some things that take place here. Uh, notice, if you would, uh, Revelation chapter 1, notice what he says in verse number 10. He talks about a particular voice. That speaks with him. Revelation chapter 1. Look if you would at verse number 10. And it is the voice of a what? All right. 
Now, for those that don't know, over there, we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4, it says, The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the, remember what it says last? Trump of God. Now, if you don't know what the word Trump means, and I'm not talking about a political figure, so don't, <laughs> don't go there. The, 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 a trump is the, vo- is the sound that a trumpet makes. Okay? That's what a trump is. So when you hear a note, that's a trump. That's the sound that the trumpet makes. All right? So he says, I heard, as it were, the voice of a trumpet. Now, the person that's talking to John is none other than the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. And he says, the way I heard his voice was like the sound of the voice of a trumpet. Now you say, why is that significant? Well, number one, you know that when the Lord comes back in the rapture, that voice is heard. Uh, But let me give you something else to chew on for just a moment. Because, as I said over here, 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, the day of the Lord still cometh as a thief in the night. He talks about the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. All right, so what is that talking about? I realize if you're a newer Christian, a lot of this is probably going, preacher, you kind of lost me. I'm doing the best I can to keep you. Bear with me. I know I'm covering a lot of ground, but, but understand when it talks about the day the Lord is talking about him coming back in the second coming, it's talking about the kingdom that, 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 he, that he reigns in, and it's also referring to this right before the new heavens and the new earth appear. You know what he does? All this climate change stuff, you know what I think is going on? I think there's another spirit moving today and kind of giving people a half-truth. We're getting close to the end, close to the end, close to the end. And climatologists, and I don't, if you have, you know, you want to talk about this stuff later, fine. I'm not going to argue with you. If you think that your emissions from your body are killing the planet, then knock yourself out, all right? Uh, I don't. That's fine if you do. That's fine if you do. But, but I'm, I'm just going to say this much. You know what's really going to happen? You know who's going to kill it? Not you. You're not that powerful. <laughs> you think your stupid little four-cylinder car is going to destroy the... God's, God's got, you know who's going to destroy it? God. Amen. You know who spoke it into existence? God. Big bang. You know who's going to speak it out? Big bang. Amen. And the Bible says, the el- and he calls that the day of the Lord. All right, so you got the day, now look, you, you got I don't want to go into all this right now, but you got a scientific book. You know what, it, you know what science teaches you? Science teaches you that, that uh, energy is not uh, continually growing and evolving. Energy is dissipating in a closed system. See, you have in a universe, by the way, Una, I, I know you guys like Marvel and the multiverse and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> all right? But do you, do you know what Una means? It means one. You know what verse means? Word. These scientists talk about the universe all the time. They, they don't even realize what they're saying. Someone spoke one word and it showed up. Now, in a closed system, do you know what happens in a closed system over time? Second law of thermodynamics, scientifically proven. In a closed system, you know what happens? Energy dissipates. So you know what's happening? The planet's dying. The planet is dying. It is. You know why? Romans 8, because of sin. Not because of your car. (laughs) Not because some cow is tooting in England or something like that. That's what they're teaching right now, so don't eat meat or whatever. All right? So you know what this is? When people, when there's no God, we become God. So we have to control everything. That's the problem. All right, so, so listen, God speaks in existence. God speaks out of existence. This is all referred to as the day of the Lord. So when he says, I was in the, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, he's talking about future events. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. Look again at Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. He says that there was a voice of a trumpet talking with him. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 4. Go to chapter 4 real quickly. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, look at verse 1. This is a theme throughout your Bible. 
After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And let me tell you something. You want God to be the one to open doors in your life. You don't want to manipulate those things. When it's open in heaven, it's done the right way. And look what it says. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a what? So it sounds like John is hearing a voice speaking words, but it sounds like a trumpet talking to him the sound that a trumpet makes. Why is that important? Go to Exodus chapter number 19. You know what you find in Exodus? I, I warned you. I tried to warn you. We're going to go to a lot of scripture. All right. If you're not familiar, Exodus is the second book in your Bible. Exodus chapter 19. And uh, Exodus chapter 19, you're going, preacher, I thought we were going to talk about churches, and I have no idea what's going on. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Look at Exodus chapter 19, and uh, look, if you would, at verse number 18. You know what this is describing? This is describing, now look at verse 17, rather. This is describing uh, when Moses goes to get the Ten Commandments, to get the law. Go, go, now, now think about this. The Bible says when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. You know what he's going to do? He's going to have the whole world submit to his law. So he's going to go through YouTube and go, well, that's gone, and that's gone, and that's gone. And people go, oh, he's violating our rights. And, Too bad. That's gone. That's gone. You guys had a, ch- you guys, you know what the Lord's going to say when some, some person says that? You guys had a shot for 6,000 years. You never got it right. Give me my shot. Right. All right? So, so, so li- listen, what's happening here is this. Uh, the Lord is going to come back and execute the law on this earth for 1,000 years. And this will be the most peace the world's ever experienced. All right? You want peace? You have to have it God's way. Amen. Right? The old saying is, no Jesus, no peace. Then they go, no Jesus, then you'll know peace. All right? Well, the only way to get it is his way, not your way. Amen. And they're trying right now, and, and they've been trying, you know, UN and all that stuff. It's, it's never going to work without God. If you want proof of that, you go to the first book of your Bible, and Genesis 11 talks about the Tower of Babel. It was a complete mess. All right, but look at Exodus 19. Look at verse number 16. And, and I, I know for, for some that maybe kind of uh, this is a little murky for you, but look at verse 16. It came to pass on the third day in the morning, after two days, third day, all right? Third day in the morning, look what it says, that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain, the voice of the what? Hmm. How about that? Oh, by the way, if you got a new Bible, it changes it. You're going to miss out on that. Uh, look at, uh, look at uh, verse uh, number... Oh, look at the end of verse 16. That sound is so loud. You know what everybody does? Well, guess what? When he comes back, not in the rapture, but here, you know what the whole world does? They go, let's hide. Whatever that is, that is not good. And, and literally, that's what the book of Revelation says. They're going to be trembling. Look at verse number uh, 17. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. That's Israel. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And look at verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a what? See the connection between voice and trump, the sound that a trumpet makes with God's voice? So, so whatever John is seeing, 
John is seeing some things that are future events that we see types of and pictures of in the Old Testament, right? And it, it's, it's all future, and that's really what I went through all that for to make sure that that made sense to you. Now, slide number two in our very ultra-high-tech uh, situation here, Amen. all right? Look, if you would, at verse number 11 of Re- Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. You know what you ought to be impressed with, if nothing else? Uh, he says, Behold, I come quickly. And uh, I don't know when the Lord's coming back. Some people say uh, they have a, a, a day. Some people say it could be 2033. I mean, in my own, I selfishly, I selfishly just want him to come like ASAP, right? That's, that's me being selfish, though. And I know that there's other people that God wants to be, you know, give them chance, a chance to repent. Uh, but I'll just say this much. Uh, regardless of when it is, it's going to be sooner than you think. Amen. Your life will be over sooner than you think. Amen. Your opportunity to serve God will be over sooner than you think. And the time to serve God is not 10 years from now. The time for a church to get serious about eternal things is not, not, is not down the road. It's now. Right. now. Now, if you're lost without Jesus Christ, you know what, you know what Paul says? Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Not, not later down the road. I, I'll never forget, a couple months ago, we had one of our young people bring someone to church. Uh, I talked with him, opened up the Bible, showed him how to be saved. And look, you're not in a church where we're going to, you know, rush people through a prayer and just, get, uh, just make sure they, they say the prayer and get them through. And get them. No, 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 that's not how salvation works. Right. Salvation is an individual decision that you make personally between you and God. Right. I can't make that for you, and I, can, I don't want to manipulate you into that decision. That's between you and God, and it's a free will decision. That young man said, uh, I'm just not ready. I said, well, I said, what are you waiting for? He said, well, when I'm, when I'm basically, in so many words, when I'm cleaned up, I said, young man, I said, I love you, and I, I don't mean this to offend you, but if you wait till you're cleaned up, you're going to be in hell. Because you're never going to get cleaned up enough to approach God in this life. It, the only way to approach Him is broken just as you are. Uh, the, the idea is this, now is the right time. Now look at uh, verse number 11 of Revelation chapter 1, and notice, so again, we're seeing that these are future things, and while there's a practical application, there's a historical application, understand, doctrinally, these are future events that are going to be taking place, uh, look at Revelation 1, verse 11. Uh, he talks about seven churches, and he lists them out there. All right, you say, what are they? Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Well, guess what? Paul writes to seven churches. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. All right, so there's a, there's a correlation between what Paul does for the church and what God does for those churches in the Great Tribulation, right? And, and, and throughout the, the book of Revelation, you got a reference of seven candlesticks, seven stars, seven lamps in Revelation 4, seven seals, seven spirits, seven angels, seven thunders, seven heads on the, on the beast, seven plagues in Revelation 15, uh, seven vials uh, at, at Revelation 15, seven mountains, talking about Rome, uh, the city that sits on seven hills, uh, seven mountains, Revelation 17. All through there, you say, what is seven uh, uh, in the Bible? It's connected with perfection or completion. And so God says there are seven churches that I'm going to minister to and deal with in the church age. There are seven churches I'm going to deal with and minister to in the tribulation. All right? Now, you say, well, what does that have anything to do with my life? How is this practically? I'm glad you asked that question. Look, look if you would, at Revelation chapter 1. And uh, notice in verse number, oh, let's see here, verse number 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden, What? And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. You say, who is that? Jesus Christ. 
So you got seven candlesticks, okay? Seven of these in this vision that he sees when he's caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he's, he, hears, he hears a voice speaking with him, and he looks back to see who it is, and it's none other than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is walking, as it says, in the midst of the candlesticks. Now, what I love about the parables in the Bible is that when a parable is given or a picture of something is given, oftentimes the Lord will say, let me explain to you what that is all about. Uh, look, if you were to Re- Revelation chapter 1 and verse number uh, 20. Verse number 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. Look at this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, before I get on to the next thing, let me just say this. I'm not going to tell you I completely have this uh, figured out. But over in Matthew, it talks about the, the innocent young children. And he says that their angels doth always behold the face of my father. And then it talks about the angel of the Lord. You say, what was it? It was an appearance of God before Jesus Christ ever was born on this earth over in the Old Testament. Then you got the angels of these children. It doesn't mean necessarily a guardian angel, although I see why people came up with that idea, but more so almost like a reflection of that child before God's throne. Can I tell you I completely understand all that? No, but I will say this. One of the ways that the word angel is used in the Bible is to refer to an appearance of something or someone. All right. And so you got seven angels that represent what? The seven churches. Let me ask you a question. What if we had an angel that represented New Heights Baptist Church? What would it look like? Joe's like, don't go there, preacher. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what 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 kind of uh, appearance would it be? What kind of representation would it be? We have to ask ourselves that. Um, Then he goes on to say this, the seven candlesticks, look at the end of this verse. The seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the what? So can I point out that Jesus is the one that should be in the midst of all of this? It shouldn't be us designing what the church is supposed to be about. It's him. He's the author of it. He's the finisher of it. He's the one that should be. Let me, let me ask you a question. If someone had to look for Jesus Christ, how hard would they have to look in your life? Where would they find him? Would they find him in the middle, right center? Or would they go, oh, you kind of get past this piece of furniture, kind of get past that piece of furniture. Way back in the corners, this figure, and it looks kind of like Jesus. Or would it be like, no, he's right in the middle. He's front and center. Everything about that person, man, their schedule. I'm going to tell you right now, if I can see where your money is spent, where your time is spent, and who your friends are, I know exactly what you're all about. And you know what ought to be in the center of that for a Christian, for a born-again child of God? Jesus Christ. You don't say, well, my friends are my... No, no, no. Your friends should be a reflection of Jesus Christ. Your money, where you spend your your money, and where you spend your time, and where you spend your affections on, should be a reflection of Jesus Christ. He's the one walking through the mist. Let me just tell you, whether you realize it or not, He's walking in the midst of your home. I don't forget one time I knocked on someone's door... And no, you're not in the room right now. So everybody get, mm, calm down. I knocked on the door and someone goes, it's the preacher. Put it out, put it out, put it out. <laughs> I wanted to reach and I go, let me try. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but let me just say right now, like, the reality is this. You don't need to be worried about me. I'm not the one that matters. He's the one that matters. Amen. He walks in the midst. He walks in the midst. Now, let, me, let me throw this out there. These candlesticks, and I want, I want to kind of end with this. Look at Exodus chapter 25. 
Exodus chapter 25. Can I say that when God gave the pattern, and, and the Bible uses that word over and over in Exodus, and it's used in Hebrews to refer to the building, the layout, the design, the materials used for the tabernacle and the temple. When God gave that, it is called a pattern, and in Hebrews it says it's a pattern of heavenly things. Do you ever go through Exodus and go, why does it matter that it's gopher wood and it's this high and this tall and this many cubits long and this many cubits wide and I don't care. What does that have to do with my life? It's a picture of heavenly things. And, and, and so when the Lord builds that tabernacle and builds that temple, there are pieces of, of furniture, if you will, that, that are a picture of something. But let me say this. You were never intended to just be a piece of furniture. You're intended to have a function. The church is not just to be here for looks. Can I, can I tell you what's happened in Europe for those that don't know history? And I don't mean that offensively. I mean, if you're not familiar, if you go to Europe, you know what you find? Some of the most grandiose cathedrals in the world. And guess what? No one's going. And guess what? In England, you know what some of those cathedrals have become? Strip clubs and bars. And buddy, that's coming to a theater near you in America if we don't get our act together too. So, so you know what you see there? You got the pretty furniture. You got the pretty stuff, but it's got nothing going for it. Do you know the candlesticks were, they were there for? Light. They're not there. Listen, you ever grab a flashlight and try to flip it on and the, the battery's dead or whatever and it doesn't work? And listen, I had that one time I had a coyote come through the property and I had a gun. I was going to try to kill the coyote. And I get out there and the flashlight doesn't work. I've got a thousand piece, a thousand dollar piece of equipment in my hand that could terminate that coyote, and I got a fifty cent battery that's not turning on. <laughs> now think about this. You know what the world needs right now? Light. Amen. It is dark. Yep. You've got it in you. Amen. Hide it under a bushel. Nope. I'm going to let it shine. Amen. Look at Exodus chapter twenty-five. Look at Exodus twenty-five, and I just I want to give you in the midst of all the children of Israel wandering through the desert and all that crazy stuff, you know what God does in the middle? God's not always practical. He's not. He, I'm just being honest. I mean, here you are in the desert. You don't have Walmart. You don't have Amazon. You got no way to order stuff. And you know what basically the Lord does? He says, uh, we're going to build a building. We're going to build a, a, a mobile home that I can come and fellowship with you guys. And they're like, well, where, where do we get all this stuff? You. Yeah, where, where do we get it from? Well, what did you bring out of Egypt? Let's take what you got from the world and let's use it for God. Amen. Wow. Now, now, now look at Exodus 25 and notice what, what happens here. Look down if you would. Exodus chapter 25, uh, verse number 22, where he talks about the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. This is all that the Lord is talking about. And it's a great picture of, of, of what, how God interacts with us. The only way God can interact with mankind is through mercy. You know what he says in verse 22? There, talking about the mercy seat, there will I meet with thee. Now, after he talks about the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant and all this grandiose stuff, look down, if you would, at verse 31, 31 for sake of time. And thou shalt make a what? And what's the material? But how do you make it? Well, it hurts, God. Why do I have this problem in my life? Why is this situation coming up? The Bible does not the Bible say the trial of your faith is like that of gold? 
You know what the Lord says? Hey, I'm taking you, and I'm going to make you into something you can't even understand right now. And it's going to be a light for other people. If you just, just let me, let me help you out a little bit. Just stick around a little bit. Don't just run off. This trial is worth more than precious gold. Amen. And if you go through it the right way and allow me to apply some pressure in your life, because you know what you've done your whole life? You've taken the easy route. You allow the Lord, the world to just form you and shape you and conform you however which way that they're going. And now the Lord's applying some pressure and you don't like it. And the Lord's going, look, I'm trying to make something of use out of you. I don't want you just to be a piece of furniture that's for decoration. It's not what the candlestick was for. There, were no, there was no electricity. There were no light switches. There were, when it's dark in those times, if you don't have oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and you don't have something to light, then guess what? You are in complete darkness. And God, and God says, look, these candlesticks are a picture of the church, and you are the church. And I don't want you to be just something that's pretty for people to look at. I want you to be of a good use to this world that's lost and dying without God. Uh, notice what he says, if, if you would. Look down, if you would, at verse uh, 32. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches out of one side. One, two, three, and three out of the other. You say, what is that? Balance. Amen. So you know what he says? Grace with standards. How about this? How about zeal with knowledge? How about this? How about mercy with dealing with sin? Doesn't mean you don't deal with sin, but you better deal with it with mercy. You see, what is that? A little bit of balance. God's not going to leave you unbalanced. If you're led by the Spirit of God, it'll be in right order. Three on this side, three on that side. And he talks about that oil. You say, what is that oil for? Well, without the oil, you got nothing. It's a pretty piece of furniture. That oil is the Holy Spirit. And when God comes by and he blows, he brings this fire. Listen, in the Old Testament, when God showed up, he'd bring fire down. That's why Cain was upset about his sacrifice. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, and he knew it when the fire came down. Elijah, prophets of Baal versus God. What happens? Fire comes down. So you know what God says? I'll, I'll, let, me, let me light your fire. Amen. Don't let the world light your fire. Right. You know, let me ask you a question. What, what lights your fire? What gets you going? What gets you excited? What gets you heated up? You know what it ought to be? Things that are eternal. Amen. You know, when, when we talk about what the Lord wants to do, and oh, by the way, you got three here and three here. You know what you think you have at the bottom? I think you have a solid foundation in Jesus Christ. Amen, and it keeps you grounded, and it keeps you from moving with the rest of the world and all the fads and all the garbage and all the rest of it. Christian, here's what I'm getting at. Go back to Revelation chapter 1. I want to learn about seven churches. And those candlesticks are a picture of those seven churches. When we look about, we, we think about balance of mercy and justice and grace and standards and heart with mind and all those things. Let me close with this thought. The Lord wants to get your attention. He wants to use you. And He wants to use this church. And I, want, I never want to take for granted that just because God has used our church, that we're something. You know what I want to say? Lord, you're the one that's in the midst. You're in the middle. It's not us. You're front and center, not us. Uh, Lord, we can't do this without your fire. We can't do this without your Holy Spirit. We don't want to do it on our own. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 2. And this is mentioned, by the way, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 3, excuse me. Revelation chapter 3. And oh, by the way, would you be surprised if I told you that the phrase I'm about to read to you is mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation? One for each church. Look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 22. 
He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the what? You know, when you come to church, you know what you ought to do? And you, when, when you leave here, you know what you ought to do? Lord, I'm listening. Amen. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. If you're not willing to listen to his leadership, you're going to walk around with no fire and no light. And the very reason that God has placed you here, you will miss out. You'll be saved. You don't lose your salvation. But you will miss out on the very purpose and reason that God puts you on this earth. Amen. People say all the time, what's my purpose? Right there. Right, right yeah. there. You know what I'm telling you? And I'm not saying lit like some people use the term. <laughs> but you need to stay lit. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And God, we thank you for the warnings. Thank you for the exhortation, Lord. Thank you for the... In some cases, rebuke, Lord, whatever it is that we needed tonight. Lord, I pray that you give it to us, and Lord, help us to respond the right way. Lord, we want to be people that listen. And Lord, I know if we're talking all the time, we can't hear you. And if we're around noise all the time, we can't hear you.